And welcome, everyone, to another edition of BAMS Radio. I'm your host, Rudy Armand, here with my co-host, Thomas Watts, who's also the wizard behind the curtain producing our program. And we're joined by our third amigo, former Alabama offensive lineman from 89 to 1993, uh, national champion in 1992, and that is William Redfish Barger, who joins us uh, on the uh, on our hotline. Uh, William, we always enjoy talking to Alabama football with you. Uh, how are you tonight, my friend? I'm doing pretty good, but I've got kind of a bone to pick with you. When when you introduce me, can you take out the years that I was at Alabama? <laughs> okay. It, it, it's really starting to weigh on my, you know, fragile ego uh, to begin with. <laughs> well, you, you did play during a special time, but no doubt, I mean. It's, uh, you know, I, I turned 47, uh, you know, next month in November, and that's, you know, scary enough as it is. And then when you start reciting out those four or five years, yeah. that I was at Tuscaloosa, it all kind of slaps me in the face at once. Well, speaking of that, I just uh, finished another radio program sitting in, and I had a chance to speak with your former position coach, Jimmy Fuller, tonight. Jimmy Jam, how's he doing? He's doing really good. He and Miss Marilyn are doing very well. Uh, he, uh, he he was in a really good mood tonight, uh, looking forward to some SEC football this weekend and the game with Ole Miss, and, uh, and he will be uh, a part of a – uh, uh, of the Arkansas weekend. He's coming back to Tuscaloosa as part of a, I believe, a reunion. So he's looking forward to being there October the 14th, being back on campus. But it's always good to catch up with Coach Fuller, and uh, he seems to be in very good health and very good spirits. And it's always great listening to him tell stories as well. It's a great uh, – he, he's always – never boring to talk to Coach Fuller. No, it never has been and never will be. I, I was just sitting here trying to remember – um, the last time that we talked, and it, I think it was right around the uh, July 4th holiday. And, uh, you know, he's he's kind of gotten a little melancholy as he's gotten a little bit older. And uh, we've had a lot of good conversations over the last couple of years, um, you know, reliving both the good and the bad of our five years together at Alabama. But uh, he was the guy that, that recruited me from Alabama uh, starting, I guess, after my sophomore year, um, you know, spent five years with him down there. And, uh, you know, his daughter, Kathy was actually my Bama bell when I was being recruited. Um, her and, uh, uh, your, your radio co-host up there, sister Claire neighbors. Yes. And, uh, man, I always look forward to having the chance to catch up with coach Fuller, a, a great guy. Um, you know, was part of those great teams in the sixties. Um, at Alabama that, you know, kind of helped form that foundation um, of the tradition. And, you know, of course, you know, now you've got Nick Saban carrying it to the next level. And, William, I've got to talk, uh, say this, too. You've got three former, uh, you know, teammates of yours that you know well, uh, three guys. It's now become kind of a, a triumvirate around here in the Madison County area. It's a pretty neat situation. Uh, the new Jemison High School, which is in its second year, it used to be J.O. Johnson. It's a really a combination of – Johnson and the old Butler High School. They, the second-year head football coach there is Kelvis White. And, of course, his older brother, Leron, is now moved from Tanner to Sparkman High School. And now Maurice Shug-Belser, another former teammate of yours along the O-line, is the head football coach at Tanner. So there's three former Bama guys in prominent uh, coaching positions here in uh, North Alabama and the Huntsville area. Yeah, you know, uh, I don't think Kelvis was there. I think Kelvis might have come in the year after I left. Maybe I think maybe he did, yeah. yeah. You know, if he did, it was when I was a senior and he was a freshman. But uh, Maurice came in in 92, so I spent two years with him. Probably the same amount of time with LaRon. And, uh, you know, it's been fun to sit back and watch, um, you know, those two guys go through their, their high school coaching careers. Um, you know, both of them have had some success. Obviously, what LaRon was able to do up there in North Alabama, a um, lot of success. He's gotten a chance at, a, you know, a bigger stage where he's at now. But, uh, you know, they come from a very solid football background with their family, a lot of good, you know, coaching background there. Um, great to see that stuff. It's, you know, it's funny. Um, you know, the guys, you know, you know, going all the way to the top, you know, Dabo Sweeney, uh, you know, talking about Will Friend, Jeremy Pruitt. Um, you know, we've got a lot of, uh, you know, uh, those of us that are not in the coaching business, we spend a lot of time, um, you know, celebrating those guys, but also, you know, hey, 
why weren't we smart enough to go into this when you start looking at the amount of money that those guys are all making? You know, even when you get down to the high school level, um, you know, at the bigger, you know, seven, six, eight schools, you know, those guys are all making, you know, a buck fifty a year. Um, but, you know, we, we, we celebrate all their successes and, you know, it's, it's fun to uh, look back on our time together at the capstone and, you know, what we all went through and accomplished um, together as a team. Uh, but, you know, certainly there's, there's one guy out of all of us right now that kind of stands out the most, and that's the guy that's making $6 million a year up in Clemson, Dabo Sweeney. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up Dabo because he was asked this week by Kirk Herbstreet on a podcast about, uh, you know, because Kirk says, I, I get it every week, people telling me that you're going to follow Nick Saban at Alabama. Of course, the Alabama Nation all wants Coach Saban to coach uh, you know, for 10 more years, but uh, everyone knows that eventually he will retire. And what are your thoughts on what Dabo would do? Dabo was very diplomatic when he answered the question. Uh, he's, he know, he's very happy at Clemson. He's given him everything he wants, but you could tell that uh, Alabama still meant a lot to him uh, playing there and, of course, coaching there uh, under Coach Gene Stallings. Well, I mean, I'll tell you this. Um, I've known Dabo and his wife, Kathleen, um, I actually, you know, as a as a high school player, um, grew up in the Inverness area of Birmingham for the people that are living. They'll understand that I was zoned to go to Pelham. Um, and that was after growing up in the, the Cahaba Heights, Shades Valley area. Uh, but we moved out to 280 uh, here in Birmingham when it was, you know, before it ever got really developed. But I was supposed to go to Pelham High School. My parents, you know, forced me to go to John Carroll. And so, you know, I've known Dabo and Kathleen Bassett, now Kathleen Sweeney, since I was 15 years old. And, you know, for, for people out there that want to speculate about this, you know, there's, there's two different sides to this equation. There's the, the rabid Clemson fans. And, you know, I think Dabo even touched on this. I'm, I'm familiar with the interview that you're talking about. You know, they have given Dabo and his family and his coaching staff you know, every possible tool that they need to be successful. And, you know, I was part of that group that wanted to see, um, you know, what Dabo did post Deshaun Watson. Um, you, know, you know, so far through four games through the season, that's a pretty resounding statement of what they've been able to do. Um, but make no mistake about it, um, you know, Dabo's stepfather, Larry McIntosh, is a very successful state-up farm agent here in Birmingham, uh, down in the Pelham area. Uh, you know, Kathleen's parents are still here in Birmingham. Um, you know, Dabo's taking his older brother, uh, Tracy, up there to be his, you know, kind of his security guy. He's a former Pelham police officer. But that whole dynamic is centered around uh, the Pelham area of Birmingham and you know, the Tuscaloosa area of, of the University of Alabama. And I'm not dumb enough to sit here and try and make predictions. But, you know, I am smart enough to realize uh, the, the extension that Dabo got, uh, you know, I don't think there's any coincidence that it coincides with the extension that Coach uh, Saban got. Uh, both of them end in 2024. Um, I, I think that if Dabo was offered that job, you know, there's a couple of different ways to look at it. Would it be the right timing um, for him and Kathleen to bring their family back to Tuscaloosa, to the state of Alabama? Um, you know, that that's the part that, you know, befuddles me a little bit because I don't necessarily know if you want to be that guy, especially with, you know, if you kind of look down the road a little bit with the success that Dabo could possibly have, you know, he's got that one national championship last year, you know, obviously the year before the appearance against Alabama where he came up a couple of seconds short. Um, you know, it's that's going to be a very difficult decision for that family. But I've known both of those two individuals since I was 15 years old, and I feel really comfortable in saying, that it would be very difficult for them as a family to turn down being 
the president and the first lady of the state of Alabama, you know, in college football. Um, very difficult. Um, you know, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. But I, I, I see all the evidence out there that's in front of me. And, you know, there's there's some other people that I know that um, have kept up with Dabo a little bit more than I have that have weighed in on it. Um, I think it's all going to have to come down to, you, you know, I think when and if Coach Saban decides to retire is all going to hinge on um, how quickly he can win a couple more national championships and get that under his belt, being more successful um, from a national standpoint um, with Coach Bryant's record at Alabama. Uh, obviously, Dabo's you know, the most accomplished head coach that Clemson's ever had, and they have given him the tools. You know, They've got a, a jam-up. Uh, new football complex. They're recruiting coast to coast and getting uh, great players over there. But just based on uh, the time that I spent in high school with Dabo Sweeney and college, um, I think if Mama calls, I think he's going to take the job. Very, very interesting, uh, William. And uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how Dabo continues uh, to develop as a coach. I, I have not been in favor of him uh, going to Alabama, but now he has went, won a national championship. And you're right. If he continues on the path he is and they continue to be a, a perennial college football playoff contender, and it looks like they still are, uh, then, uh, you know, a lot of people uh, will be in favor of Dabo coming to Alabama and thinking uh, that he could handle the job. And, uh, and I mean, he's done a great job building up that Clemson program and, doing more than I ever would have thought because uh, he got the job in an interim capacity. People didn't think he would probably be long for it, and uh, he's been able to build the program in his image. And one thing I'll give him credit for, too, he has made changes and known when he needed to bring in coordinators on each side of the football when they weren't working, and I think that's really what has uh, really got this program rolling. He knew when to get rid of Kevin Steele and bring in Brent Venables, and Steele's doing a very nice job at Auburn, but he didn't fit at Clemson. And uh, bringing in Chad Morris kind of uh, really uh, gave the juice to his uh, on the offensive side of the ball. Well, I think the thing you have to look for going forward, Drew, it's two things. Number one, uh, Dabo's done a great job of evaluating quarterbacks, and I think he gets a lot of help in that aspect um, with a guy that I think might be the um, one of the the you know sneaky best. Um, coordinators in college football and Jeff Scott, you know, the son of Brad Scott, you know, the Bobby Bowden guy's dad was the, the head coach of South Carolina when I was playing. Um, you know, when, when you start talking to high school coaches and recruits in the state of Florida, uh, you know, Jeff Scott is in on those guys before anybody else, including the, the home state schools. But, you know, this is what I would like to see how this plays out. You know, they, they've got uh, Kelly Bryant right now. Um, you know, they've got a five-star guy that's another true freshman in, in Hunter Bryant. And then they've already got that, that some people think um, is, is the next Tom Brady and Trevor Lawrence in the fold. Um, I, I want to see how Dabo manages this situation. Um, not going to judge him for it. I just want to see how he manages because – Kelly Bryant is starting to develop, um, done a very good job through four games through the season. You know, you've got the five-star and Hunter uh, Johnson behind it. And then you've got Trevor Lawrence waiting in the wings um, that could come in behind them. You know, that, that's a very difficult dynamic as a head coach to manage. Um, but, but, you know, I agree with an interview, and I think the interview – uh, you know, kind of plays off of what you said about, you know, how Dabo's built that program. And he made the comment that the program's been built from the inside out. And what that means is he's built it from b the, both sides of the line of scrimmage. You know, they've got, you know, a five-star left tackle in Mitch Hyatt um, that, that when he becomes draft eligible, he's going to be a top 10, top 15 pick. You know, Dexter Lawrence, all those great defensive linemen they've signed. Um, he's done a fantastic job of building that program. And as a fan of his and a former teammate, what I was really looking forward to seeing was 
how he managed that program post Deshaun Watson. And, you know, so far through, you know, the first four games of the season, he's done a tremendous job of it. And, you know, if he can keep signing, uh, you know, top five recruiting classes going forward, I don't see that program going anywhere. I really think that he surpassed Jimbo Fisher last year, um, you know, in the ACC as far as a talent standpoint. You know, Jimbo's kind of known as a, as a quarterback developer. But, but, you know, I think, you know, Jeff Scott's right there with him, and, you know, Dabo's been able to retain him. And, uh, you know, he's got it going on, and I'm going to celebrate that and, you know, take my hat off to him. Um you know, the struggles that he and his family went through uh, when he was in high school and college, they, they, it's well documented. Um, I, I watched the situation unfold myself when, you know, him and his mother, uh, plus Lemansky Hall, were all forced to live together, um, you know, in an apartment complex down there. And, you know, if, if there's ever been somebody that's earned their success, um a blue-collar way and an honest way, it's Dabo Swing. And uh, I give him all the credit in the world for that. And, uh, William, now to look back on uh, uh, the performance last week uh, with the Vanderbilt Commodores, uh, quite frankly, you'd have to give Alabama A's on offense, defense, and special teams. I thought it was probably the most complete domination and performance since the Capital One Bowl evisceration of Mark D'Antonio and Michigan State when the classic uh, uh, exchange at midfield between Coach Saban and Mark D'Antonio happened where uh, Mark D'Antonio asked him, uh, how the hell did y'all lose three games? And then and Coach Saban said, well, how the hell did y'all only lose one? Uh, and uh, <laughs> and so uh, he said, well, we, Coach D'Antonio, we just didn't get any better. And uh, But Alabama kind of uh, used that bowl game as a springboard for two straight national championships. That was uh, just complete physical domination in Nashville. Yeah, it was. You know, I think, you know, my message to the Alabama fan base would be, um, the, the physical domination that took place versus Michigan State was a lot more impressive and a lot more legitimate to me than, than what you saw Saturday. Um, you, you can go on the Internet right now and, and look at uh, Alabama's second-team center, J.C. Hassenauer, and, and Brandon Kennedy at right guard do a combo block on, you know, the guy that initiated the – uh, you know, we want Bama comments. I can't even pronounce his name, and he's, he's not really a good enough player for me even to have to worry about it. But, you know, they wiped him out um, almost like a tsunami. And, you know, that was J.C. Hassenauer and, and Brandon Kennedy. It wasn't, you know, Bradley Bozeman and Lester Todd. I, I think you have to kind of pump the brakes a little bit um, as to what you saw Saturday. Um, you know, I tried telling some of my friends, um, you know, when, when the media was trying to build that game up, um, you know, th- th- there's there's just, you know, not a comparison. I don't care if Vanderbilt's the number one defense in the country and all the other accolades that were thrown their way, that they can't match Alabama's talent level. They couldn't do it when it was best on best. They couldn't do it when it was second versus uh, second versus their best, and they couldn't do it when it was the you know third team on on their best. Um, now that being said, that uh, they executed and handled it like like it was. Um, you know, you you can't really expect a team to perform at that high of a level when they're blocking uh, bags and dummies in air, and they did that. Um, you know, I thought the offensive line played at a high level. Uh, I thought Jalen Hurts and, and uh, uh, you know, the first-team running backs played at a high level. It was great to see, you know, the return of Rashawn Evans and Anthony Jennings. I thought they brought a, uh, you know, a, a passion and a physicality level back to the defense that had been missing for two or three weeks. Um, but, you know, that's, that's just not a really good football team, despite what – you know, the media tried to build it up to, um, you know, a, a 
Alabama football team that's filled with four and five-star football players on both sides of the ball, you know, versus Vanderbilt, um, maybe the game shouldn't have gotten as, you know, out of hand as it did. But, you know, when, you know, your fifth or sixth team running back and Brian Robinson is, you know, busting loose for a touchdown at the end of the game, when, when your sixth team running back, Ronnie uh, Clark, comes in, and rushes, you know, 10 times for 60 or 70 yards, and you have to take a knee on the goal line to just, you know, keep it from being ugly. Uh, you know, nobody can accuse Nick Saban for running the score up in that game because they could have scored 100 if they wanted to. Well, and the one thing that I was pleased with is the continued uh, imprint Brian Dable has put on this offense. Uh, I thought he stayed very patient with the running game, very physical downhill, uh, I liked the short intermediate passing game he designed for Jalen Hurts, and we still saw Jalen make some plays with his legs. Uh, and I thought uh, because of the running game and the staying patient, they did a much better job of executing in the red zone. Uh, just your thoughts on Brian Dable and continuing to get comfortable uh, as offensive coordinator in the play caller. Well, you know, Drew, number one, I, I was a little bit confused after the first couple of games where – you know, Alabama fans are wanting him to be fired and, and we're saying that, you know, there's no way we get to college football playoff with this guy. Um, you know, it, it, based on what I saw um, at a scrimmage this summer, it was obvious that they were working with a limited playbook. And, you know, they opened the season versus Florida State, a very talented uh, defense. Uh, you know, obviously I, I was never sold on their offense, being able to establish the run versus Alabama's front seven. Uh, but, you know, they, they, they did just enough to win that game. Um, you know, you go through the next couple of games versus, you know, and then they get to the SEC opener with, with Vanderbilt. And then the onion gets peeled back a little bit. And, you know, let's give this guy a chance. Um you know, I, I think any Alabama fan should have looked at the schedule realistically and looked at it like this. You know, you had a big opener versus Florida State with a lot of talented football players. Alabama won that battle, and I think they won it convincingly. You know, the next couple of games, yeah, you know, whatever. Uh, and I think that was a, you know, kind of a testing ground um, for a, uh, unproven, uh, you know, team on both sides of the football. But, you know, I think, Drew, that the, the scrimmages are going to continue uh, throughout the month of October. Um, you know, and there's a couple of teams, you know, in the month of November that I thought I could possibly test this team. But if they keep, you know, incorporating uh, the offense that you saw versus Vanderbilt, you know, they got to execute it. They got to make the blocks. They got to make the passes. Um, but you know, when you look at what they're doing with, you know, zero turnovers, and then, you know, Coach Saban kind of, you know, you know, talks to the media and talks about his offensive philosophy, how he wants every drive to end with a kick, you know, whether it's a punt, a field goal, extra, I mean, an extra point on a touchdown or a field goal. Um, you, you kind of start figuring out what his M.O. is. Um, you know, th there's a chance, you know, if they can take care of business against a, uh, a reeling program versus Ole Miss Saturday night, you know, there's a chance, that, you know, this team doesn't get challenged again, depending on what happens to uh, LSU, Mississippi State, and Auburn the rest of the way. You know, there's a chance they don't get matched talent for talent-wise until the month of November. Well, what is your thoughts on the SEC? I, it looks like to me for the second straight year it's down. And right now, after seeing all these teams about a quarter of the way through the year, I made this comment today on 97.7 The Zone. I'm almost thinking that this that it's a three-team league with Alabama and Auburn, uh, the run the runaways in the West, because LSU is looking very shaky right now. We'll know for sure on Mississippi State when they go to Jordan-Hare uh, this uh, Saturday night. And then in the East, Kirby Smart and Georgia just demolished Mississippi State. Uh, they're going to Tennessee. Butch Jones is almost uh, – it's almost his last stand as the Vols head coach if they, if they can't get the, get the win in Neyland Stadium. 
Uh, and then uh, Jim McElwain, who I love, the Gators uh, are winning, but uh, being uh, very unimpressive. Well, you know, Drew, I think that, you know, the first thing that jumps off the page to me is I don't know, you know, which SEC program is more snake bit at the quarterback position. Is it Florida or is it LSU? Um, th- that would be the $64,000 question to me. I mean, both of those programs are, you know, stuck at ground zero until they get a quarterback that can, you know, lead those teams and make, make some plays to pick up third downs and, you know, make explosive plays. But, you know, w- when you look at the, the talent level in the league, um, I, I think the West is still better than the East, even though, you know, with what Kirby has done. Um, you know, LSU is a very talented ball club. I don't know if they've got the guy, you know, down there that can pull the trigger. Um, they're, they're very uh, poor at quarterback. Um, you know, you got Dan Mullen with Nick Fitzgerald and a very explosive offense. It, you know, if they get the right uh, things going for them, we'll find out more about them, I think, this weekend versus Auburn. Um, you know, how do they match up with a Kevin Steele defense? Um, you know, Kirby is in year two. Um, I think he's got some suspect coaches on his coaching staff. Um, got some talent, but we'll see how that all plays out. You know, they could win the, the, the East by default. Um, you know, I think if, you know, if, if Alabama runs through the rest of their schedule, and Georgia runs through the rest of their schedule, and that's the SEC championship game. Uh, right now, I'm not Danny Sheridan or a Vegas odds maker, but I would say uh, the line in that game would be double digits. Um, I think what, you know, as Alabama fans need to watch out for is this is a different team than what you've seen in a typical Nick Saban year. Um, there is a tremendous amount of talent, young talent. I'm talking about true freshman talent um, that is, you know, getting repped. Uh, you saw the, you know, the, the play from from uh, Tua to uh, Jerry Judy, from Tua to Henry Ruggs. You know, you saw uh, Najee Harris and Brian Robinson make explosive plays. You know, if this keeps up, you know, if Alabama can keep going through their uh, last weekend versus Old Miss and then their October schedule where they're able to keep getting these guys, you know, this ridiculously talented 2017 recruiting class, multiple reps in big-time games versus SEC competition, um, that, that could be a very dangerous team uh, come the SEC championship or the college football playoff. And then, William, I've got to ask you about what, some things we saw against Vanderbilt, especially offensively. Uh, I felt like one area where Alabama was probably lacking a little bit, even in the 2015 year when they won their last championship, was uh, blocking on the edges in the perimeter. I think this team is really starting to develop an edge there. Uh, I was uh, continue to be so impressed with Irv Smith and his development as a blocker. We've talked about the improvement of Hell Hinches, uh, and now we so we see a new wrinkle from Nick Saban uh, putting a sixth offensive lineman out there to get Jedrick Wills on the field. Your thoughts on what we saw? Well, you know that position that you were talking about with you know with Irv Smith and Hell Hinches. Um, you know, I saw a big, big. Uh, step up in competition and execution, uh, you know, from the uh, the true freshman tight end, uh, what's his name, Gary? Um, you talking about here. Major Tennyson for us? No, for the other one. Uh, oh, oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, Kedrick James. Kedrick James. I mean, he, he face-planted a guy, you know, when he got in. And, you know, I think people are a little bit confused about, you know, that one position group and why all these guys, you know, are getting touches. You know, Miller Forstall's gone. You know, he's, he's done for the year. So they got to get Major Tennyson and Kedrick James and all these other guys involved at the tight end position. And that's a very important position. Um, 
especially as Brian Dayball's offense continues to evolve, you know, with running the ball with power and, you know, watching that offensive line execute their blocks. Um, you know, the thing that I want to see is how Brian Dayball, you know, we'll see, you know, Saturday is an uptick in competition. You know, that's not Vanderbilt that they're going to play at, you know, 8.30 Saturday night. It's, it's Ole Miss. They've got good players. Uh, the thing that I want to see is if this offensive line can execute versus that defensive front the same way they did versus Vanderbilt. If they can, then I think this team has a chance to set records. I do too, William. I think they have a chance to be special. Uh, I thought they really took some positive steps offensively. Uh, and the one thing that I, I continue to be so impressed with, and I think this says so much about Jalen Hurts, and he's not getting enough credit for it, uh, is the chemistry uh, so far offensively. Uh, he's de- he just definitely seems like, unlike the guys last year who have all been colossal flops as transfers, as I've already we've already talked about, uh, you know, Cooper Bateman, third string at Utah. I'm sure you saw this week, following his first extensive game action, David Cornwell was 13 of 25 for 97 yards and three interceptions, and then summarily put back to third string, and he's already transferred from Nevada. And then in uh, the uh, the uh, two and two uh, Arizona State Sun Devils, Blake Barnett, he was a great friend to Bams Radio, but he left, and now he's thrown three passes so far this season. We 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 see uh, uh, Jalen doing a great job of rooting for Tua Tungavailoa. He played very well in the game. Made uh, you know really three spectacular throws. One was dropped by uh, by uh, Calvin Ridley on the sideline, but he made the touchdown throw uh, to Jerry Judy, and then the perfect throw to Devontae Smith. He's really I think doing a nice job of leading uh, this offense. And there's no bigger Jalen Hurts fan in the country than me. You know, Drew, we, we've talked about this kid, um, you know, since I first saw him as a junior. Um, you know, that being said, you know, I thought the way he handled the uh, explosive plays from Tua versus the game, uh, you know, I wouldn't expect him to handle that any other way. I mean, the guy's got ice water in his veins. But what I, I think and what I see this turning into, if, if Tua can continue to grow and evolve, um, and you, you haven't really seen this as an Alabama fan, number one. Certainly, uh, it's never been a M.O. of a Nick Saban team. But what I see it turning into, and maybe not this year, but what I see it turning into in maybe 2018 is a true two-quarterback system. And there is a, uh, a loud voice out there that says, if you don't have one quarterback, if you got two quarterbacks, you don't have one. But that, that's two different skill sets that a defensive coordinator has to game plan for. And – I, I love the, the body language that I've seen from Jalen and, and Tua. I, I, number one, I think that's a great thing for this team, uh, number one. You know, you've got those big, bruising running backs in both Scarborough and Damian Harris, and I think both of those guys are probably going to be uh, declaring for the draft in January. Uh, but you've got this connection. You've got this chemistry in this 2017 recruiting class where, you know, Jedrick Wills could probably make a push on the right tackle job or the right guard job. You got Najee Harris, Brian Robinson, Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, Devonta Smith. There's too much talent over there on the sideline to not put them on the field. And I think that's where the magic comes from with Nick Saban as a head coach. Um, as he, you know, continues to evolve as a recruiter. Um, you know, he's telling all these, you know, four- and five-star guys, guess what? If you're good enough to play, I'm going to put you out there on the biggest stage in college football, and we'll see what you can do. And, yeah, this is this recruiting class in 2017 reminds you more and more 
of the 2008 group each each time you watch them and watch them develop. Just like Brian Robinson saw his first action, they've been working him at H back, and they did it in the game a little bit, and then he got a chance to run the football. And uh, you know, he, uh, one of the funniest tweets I saw from the game was, uh, uh, "I know him. Uh, he's been on my show, Jesse Johnson from Vanderbilt's 24/7 site. He had an interesting exchange with a couple of guys in the press box. One of them, you know, asked Jesse, said Robinson." question mark and the other guy uh, uh, spoke up and said ah he's not really anybody and then jesse johnson said well guys he was a top 150 recruit in america and then he he said hashtag machine with uh well, let me tell you something there mm-hmm. was a lot of people in the recruiting business uh and you know last i'm talking about may of, of, of 2016 that were you know sitting on their buttons you know about ready to push their buttons that Brian Robinson was going to be a five-star running back. And, you know, he probably didn't get that benefit of the doubt because he was a local homegrown talent. But there were a lot of people that thought he was a five-star talent. You know, not not to the level that, you know, that he was going to challenge, you know, Cam Akers and Najee Harris as being the – number one running back in the country. But there were a lot of people that felt like Brian Robinson was a true five-star talent. Yeah, he and, he and I talked to his coach, Sam Adams, last year at Hillcrest High School, and they moved him around a lot to prepare him for the college level. He was uh, asked to block quite a bit. Uh, as he lined him up as a, in this, as a slot receiver, uh, he was a running back, and uh, he, you can tell he has a very high IQ. And I liked his attitude at the Alabama Mississippi game. He said he was going to compete. He didn't really care that Najee Harris uh, was committed to Alabama, uh, and he was very excited to be a part of it. And uh, he definitely uh, was uh, is a guy that uh, I think is going to be a a future standout for Alabama. But just some ridiculous depth uh, in that backfield, and then to, to uh, to switch uh, to the other sides of the ball to, to defensively, uh, William, uh, I think we're starting to learn that Anthony Jennings is an underrated guy. He comes back to set that edge at Jack. I think he's going to be a, a Denzel Duvall, but with more pass rush ability. I know you were high on him coming out of Dadeville High School. He comes back, immediately has an impact, uh, gets us the, the big strip of blasting game to set up another Alabama touchdown, and really just seemed like uh, he fit back in seamlessly coming off of the high ankle sprain. Well, I think the thing that he brought back to you know the defense more than anything was his attitude. You know, he has a Ryan Anderson attitude, and you know I'm still kind of puzzled about the uh, penalty that was called on him. Um, you know, where he hit the, the, the Vanderbilt quarterback low. Absolute uh, clown penalty. I just don't under I, – I, I, my, my apologies for uh, cutting you off a little bit there. But no, I no, was, no, don't apologize. I agree with you. Yeah, it was just – I was – you know, Rodney Orr and I were talking about this during the game, and he's like, I wonder if they would call that on Jalen. It was absolutely pathetic. I understand they're trying to protect knees, but my goodness, I know you can't hit around the head – but, yeah, I think in some ways they're protecting the quarterbacks almost too much. I agree with that. And, you know, and I think that, you know, having Rashawn Evans and Anthony Jennings coming back to that defense, um, you know, it, it injected life into it. Um, you know, it gave Jeremy Pruitt, you know, more options to uh, be creative with blitzes. And you saw that, you know, you know kind of fold out. And again, you know, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about, you know, what Alabama did versus that Vanderbilt team because I just don't think that Vanderbilt team's very good. But, you know, what they were able to do on both sides of the ball versus air uh, was very impressive to me. Um, you know, uh, getting, you know, the starters off the field. Uh, you know, with what Jalen was able to do, with what Tua was able to do when he came in um, as a backup, you know, again, if Brian Dayball can corral all this talent that he's got on that side of the ball, um, you know, I think Nick Saban and Jeremy Pruitt kind of keep their end of the bargain up on the other side of the ball. But, you know, Brian Dayball's got a – monstrous amount of talent to, you know, on his side of the football. 
that he can go out there and, you know, I might not be the right guy to make this decision, but I think if they could get a true, you know, I'm talking about Tyler Watts, Andrew Zout, two quarterback system in play where the opposing defensive coordinator has to prepare for both of those individual skill sets, you know, they'll, they'll win every game going forward. And, William, uh, as we wrap up Vanderbilt and look ahead to Ole Miss, uh, Papa Nostos continues to do a good job at kicker. Who would have ever thought he would be the highest-rated kicker in the SEC right now, 8 out of 10, even more than Daniel Carlson? He's been very solid uh, since a shaky beginning against Florida State. But the biggest thing in special teams I think we saw, we had a muff from uh, Trevon Diggs. It sounds like he will still be the punt returner, at least initially, against Ole Miss Saturday. But we saw Henry Ruggs and his potential as he – nearly took one to the house against Vanderbilt, William. You know, I think that's probably the, uh, you know, $64,000 question, Drew. Um, you know, you've kind of seen what, you know, Diggs can do for you, and I'm not advocating for anybody to lose their job, but Henry Ruggs is special. I mean, he's got an extra gear. Um, you know, he can do everything you want him to do. Um you know, that that part of the game, I think Alabama is very solid with, you know, with the kicking, the punting, the special teams game. Um, what they got to get better at is um, they're, they're not going to face Vanderbilt Saturday. You know, Ole Miss has legit SEC football players on both sides of the football. You know, Shea Patterson, you know, those big wide receivers. Um you know, let's see what happens there. You know, if if they blow out Ole Miss, um, you know, you know, two touchdowns, twenty eight points, whatever, um, then we can talk about a true uh, Alabama versus Clemson rematch in the national championship game. And now uh, we are going to switch gears to Ole Miss. They have played Alabama very tough the last three years. Uh, they had won the previous two going into last season's game. It was kind of the coming of age moment of Jalen Hurts, 24 to three down, taking a huge shot from Marquise Haynes. He comes back, leads the team on a touchdown drive. Then we see Eddie Jackson coming to his own as the punt returner, taking one to the house. Alabama cuts the lead to seven at halftime, comes out of the locker room uh, like a house of fire. Before we know it, it's 48 to 30 after John Allen's interception return for a touchdown. They hold on to win 48-43. This Ole Miss team still very talented at quarterback and receiver, but I think deficient in uh, all the other areas. I think it's a very bad matchup for Ole Miss. They tweeted out tonight, uh, last time in Bryant-Denny, talking about you know beating Alabama. Uh, Coach Saban had some interesting things to say at his press conference yesterday about sometimes you know uh, you know a, a rivalry can be started when the uh, when a team thinks they have your number and Ole Miss kind of does in a way I think still I think they're very confident coming in here but personally I think they're about to get their ass busted I've got Alabama <laughs> winning this game 44-17 I, I think Alabama is going to physically maul that front of Ole Miss they have two good players in Marquise Haynes and Benito Jones but quite frankly I think the rest of their defense is garbage um, I totally agree with you, Jerry. I think that it's going to be, uh, uh, you know, 41 to, you know, 21. Um, you know, it's it's kind of hard to bang on Old Miss right now with what's going on with their program. Um, it's, it's no different than what was going on with Alabama's program in 1999. Um, but you know, they got Matt Lube, you know, a former hometown hero. Um, I, I would say your prediction of uh, 41 to 17, that's about right. 
Yeah, I, I actually, I'm, I'm going to give, uh, I guess I'm going to give Papa Nasty one more field goal. I'm going to go with 44, but I think Alabama's going to control the game. I, I think I think they actually want to make another statement with Ole Miss. I think uh, they're, they're kind of embarrassed with how Ole Miss has handled them. But, yeah, and I freely give Ole Miss a lot of credit. I mean, I think Matt Luke, under the circumstances, has done a pretty good job. The injury to A.J. Brown was big, you know, in the Cal game, and he'll be back for this game. He's uh, been putting up video game type numbers. It's going to be a great test for Alabama's veteran secondary and the front seven. I'm going to be interested to see how Coach Pruitt and those guys attack Shea Patterson because he can extend plays. Uh, but I, I still think, you know, Wilcox at uh, Cal did a nice job slowing them down. I think Alabama will do that too. I expect, you know, 36, 37 minutes of possession time and Alabama to dominate the game. I think they're going to get a chance to play a lot of players in the latter part of the third quarter into the fourth. And I think Alabama is going to roll and set up an interesting trip to college station. And, uh, you know, Kevin, someone's got to win this game this week against Will Muschamp at home against South Carolina, or uh, they're going to have a lot of moving signs in his yard because they're still a little bit disturbed uh, at them blowing that UCLA game. But again, I think uh, this is a good matchup for Alabama. I just don't think Ole Miss has the horses uh, to stay with them, and it's going to be interesting. And, uh, William, I've got to also go back to a, a point you made about a two-quarterback system maybe coming up next year is one other reason is, and he once again put up video game numbers with well over 300 yards passing and I think four or five touchdowns last week in their route of Oak Mountain, but Talia Tungavaloa, and I've said it on the show before, I've seen the young man up close, is a special, special quarterback and it's probably as deep a year at quarterback in the state of Alabama next year in 2019 as we've ever seen in Alabama. Yeah, you know, um, the, 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 you know, the thing that I really wanted to say was how could he, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> transgress from what he was doing in Hawaii versus 7A high school football in Alabama. And he's really done a good job of that. Um, you know, they, they've passed a lot of tests through. Um, you know, they got Spain Park. They've got uh, Hoover. they mm-hmm. got Hewitt Trussell. Um, but we'll see what he does. But, you know, there, there's a lot of talk out there about, you know, how short he is. And I don't care about that myself. Um, you know, I'm more concerned about how he, how he can distribute the football. But uh, he's done. He's passed every test. He's done everything you want him to do. Um, you know, let's see what he does versus uh, Hoover, Spain Park, and Hewitt Trussell. Very, very uh, good point. And that everybody circle it on your calendars. I. I may try to very well make that game, but on October the 27th, it will be uh, the uh, Thompson Warriors at Hoover. Uh, should be a circus of a matchup. Uh, Hoover, their only loss to Grayson, Georgia, a loaded team in a very competitive game. Hoover has found a way to win against Spain Park late and then struggle with Mountain Brook, and Thompson uh, basically eviscerated both of those teams. So it still would be a very intriguing matchup with Hoover uh, who has a lot of talent. And William, as we're wrapping up BAMS Radio our last few minutes, a huge recruiting weekend for Alabama. Uh, just saw the list last night. A lot of 2018 and 19 targets coming to town, including I'm watching right now is the uh, Texas Longhorns are struggling with Iowa State. Uh, that two of the biggest prospects on their board look like they will be in town in Tuscaloosa this weekend. And Jalen Waddell, who you, we, you and I have already talked about, could be uh, just an, an electric addition to this offense, and it's kind of scary to think about with already all the young talent there. And then uh, their number one high school defensive line target, who would be so crucial to this class, from Fort Worth, Texas, of course, from Chris Owens' old high school, and that is Bobby Brown. Yeah, I mean, I think if Alabama could get Jalen Waddle and Bobby Brown, um, that would be a huge pickup. Um you know, two top players in the state of Texas. Um, you know, they got the chance to go to Alabama, and I, I expect both of them to be at Alabama. But, um, you know, the, the one thing about recruiting, I would say, is, you know, people spend so much time worrying about um, 
where you are in that uh, facet of, of the game. And are there really people out there that are worrying about Nick Saban um, with the recruiting aspect? I mean, uh, that's the thing that baffles me more than anything, Drew, is, you know, Jalen Waddle, Bobby Brown, you know, whoever else it is, you know, in Louisiana, uh, Mississippi, uh, Tennessee, Alabama, whatever, um, the guy's got it. He's going to bring in the top players. Uh, you know, let's just see what he does. And, and don't be impatient. You know, you, you get all this information, um, and I think that's great. But the guy's going to get the top players in the country year in and year out. Let's just sit back and watch it play out. Absolutely. And then for the final few minutes, uh, I'm, I know some people are going to want to hear this, and we're going to have to follow it, you know, for the next several days and uh, until we see how it all plays out. But, of course, yesterday was – not a great one uh, for Alabama basketball with Kobe Baker, who the associate athletic director for basketball in his second tenure in Tuscaloosa, who had come back to work at Alabama two years ago for Avery Johnson. After working for the NCAA, he was uh, caught on film uh, and uh, audio taking a bribe uh, from a, an Atlanta area suit and tailor dealer who was also trying to get him to influence Colin Sexton and his family to sign with a, the marketing agency that he was going to represent uh, after he went pro from high school. Uh, but again, Kobe Baker was dismissed. It's left some, you know, some uh, uncertainty with Colin Sexton's eligibility. It's going to be interesting tomorrow, uh, as I talked to Cecil Hurd today, to see if Colin Sexton's on the floor practicing uh, with the team uh, in their first day of practice. As of last night, I was hearing from good sources that they felt Alabama felt like they were going to be okay. There had been nothing found yet, but it's going to be ongoing. Uh, that in, as of now, his eligibility was going to be fine. Uh, but again, that can change and change quickly. Uh, it's been uh, something I know, William, you've been uh, very uh, complimentary of Avery Johnson and what he's done. He's really injected a lot of juice in the program. Uh, I, selfishly, I, I hope we get to see Colin Sexton play at Alabama. But as I told some people last night and today, uh, the worst case scenario in this thing, I don't think Alabama is going on probation. I think uh, they, they, we could could see Colin Sexton pulled off the court uh, for Alabama, but uh, we'll see if they had all their ducks in a row. I think I, I personally enjoyed what, it, the fact that Greg Byrne did a heck of a job acting quickly once they found out about Kobe Baker. Already took his bio down last night. They quickly dismissed him. They're trying to get ahead of this like Nick Saban did with T-Town menswear, with Trent Richardson, and also uh, you know what, uh, and what, and what uh, Coach Saban has done in other situations as well with Marcel Darius uh, when he got suspended. Uh, you know, they, they, Coach Saban has always been a guy that's been ahead of the curve when it comes to handling uh, situations like this. So uh, we, uh, we hope that uh, Alabama basketball is going to come back intact with Colin Sexton. But the good part is, as well as Avery Johnson is recruited, uh, they're still going to have a good basketball team, even without Colin Sexton. And you could tell when Avery was in Huntsville that something wasn't quite right. Uh, so they're trying to get all their ducks in a row. But hopefully we'll see this team intact. But it's something that's going to have to be watched uh, from this point forward until they uh, kick off or, t- excuse me, I should say tip-off action uh, in early November. From everything that I've been told, Drew, um, I think the uh, the 